Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast, an extra episode this week. Today, a look at an upcoming documentary called Infertility, a Diabolical Agenda, which has to do with well-documented yet little-known efforts supported by the World Health Organization to develop an anti-fertility vaccine. Maybe you already know about all the studies saying that infertility is becoming its own epidemic across the globe. Many scientists who specialize in this sort of research have said they are alarmed, and there are a lot of theories about what could be causing this, the possible environmental exposures that could be contributing. For example, I interviewed a renowned scientist on Full Measure who talked about peer-reviewed published studies linking the type of radiation from 5G to many health problems, including infertility, will multiply that sort of thing times all the exposures and risks we subject ourselves to daily, from pesticides, the types of food that we eat, pollution in the air and water, side effects of medicines, and so much more. But until I saw this documentary, I was unprepared to believe what I'd heard, but not fully researched, about conspiracies to intentionally limit population through things like an infertility vaccine. Well, this new documentary comes out Friday, June 10th, and it takes us to Africa to dissect this controversy in some detail. Here's my interview with physician and filmmaker Dr. Andy Wakefield, who made the film with Bobby Kennedy's Children's Health Defense. The film is called Infertility, A Diabolical Agenda. It was made in collaboration with Bobby Kennedy's Children's Health Defense, and it comes out on Friday the 10th uh, on infertilitymovie.org or one not team1986.com, team1986.com. And people can watch that for free when it comes out, right? Absolutely. At the outset, I will just say uh, the propagandists and vaccine industry interests often portray this material and even me and you as anti-vaccine, which is of course, couldn't be, it couldn't be farther from the truth. I'll just put that out there. People can do their own due diligence and research on that. Um, and I'll also say I, I've been fully vaccinated. My child's fully vaccinated. It's just a campaign to keep people and scientists from reporting on and studying these phenomena. So what gave you the idea to go into the, the area of research involving vaccine connections to infertility? Well, I just finished a film, um, 1986, the act about the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And I was presented by Bobby Kennedy's group with a, a bunch of footage from shot in East Africa about this infertility issue. And it's something that I was aware of, but I hadn't paid a great deal of attention to. I then, and there, there's a great risk in this as a filmmaker, Cheryl, as you know, that you are taking someone else's footage, it wouldn't necessarily be shot in the same way that you'd shoot it, the questions would have been asked slightly differently, irrespective of that, the film, the story was so utterly compelling that I thought this is worth the risk and put this story together. It is the resolution of a long-standing acrimonious debate between, on the one hand, the World Health Organization and the Kenyan public health authorities, and on the other hand, the Catholic Doctors Association and the Catholic Church in Kenya. Well, let's start with what I used to think was a conspiracy theory, but of course I've learned to listen to some of those because so many have proven true, 
But I've always heard rumblings that vaccines are causing infertility or there's a secret program to intentionally make people infertile with vaccines, which sounds crazy. But in looking at the documentation that exists, there actually was a World Health Organization program, um, supported program to create vaccines for the purposes of creating fertility, infertility in, I guess, African women. Can you tell me a little more about that? Certainly. And, and rather like you, I came to this somewhat skeptical until I realized there was an abundance of peer-reviewed published scientific literature going back to the 1970s, where the World Health Organization had funded a Dr. Talwa in particular in New Delhi in India to produce an anti-fertility vaccine. It was clearly stated, unambiguous. That wasn't in contention. What was interesting is about the way they designed it. And the way they designed it was to combine the molecule, human chorionic gonadotrophin, which is a hormone essential to the maintenance of healthy pregnancy, with the tetanus toxoid vaccine. Now, on its own, the HCG, the human chorionic gonadotrophin, didn't produce an immune response, and it didn't work as an anti-fertility vaccine. But when they combined it with the tetanus toxoid, it had a sort of adjuvant effect, rather like aluminum in childhood vaccines, that created an immune response and created infertility. And they then set about deploying that throughout women of the third, millions of women in the third world. May I interrupt and, for just a moment? Why on earth hmm. would the World Health Organization or anybody want an anti-fertility vaccine? They perceived that there was um, a dramatic increase and a continuing increase infertility. And you could have made that case 10, 20 years ago. But if you look at the mortality curves now, the natality curves, the birth rate, the fertility rates in men and women, sperm counts, female infertility, it is plummeting. It is plummeting. And now natality is exceeded by mortality. And in fact, mankind is on an extinction curve if we continue like this. So it is not appropriate. It is most certainly not appropriate to deploy this vaccine under those circumstances without thinking very, very carefully, but particularly with fully informed consent. Women have to be fully informed about the safety and efficacy of this approach. The problem was that this was apparently dressed up as a tetanus vaccine program to prevent neonatal tetanus. The women were deceived into believing it wasn't just lack of informed consent. They were misled deliberately into believing they were doing something good for their babies or babies to be, when in fact they were doing quite the opposite. And that was the dilemma. That was the, the issue that was out there. And then the Catholic Church got together with the government and they said, right, we'll do a joint study. We will both put samples into the pool. They will be analyzed by an independent lab. And who's right and who's wrong? Is this anti-fertility vaccine there? They took samples from the field where they were giving this vaccine, and they found that in over half of those that in the tetanus vaccine program contained the anti-fertility vaccine. But all of the samples from the government, 52 samples from the government stores with the same batch number as the field samples were entirely negative. And at that stage, the government went on the rampage, went on the attack, accused the doctors effectively of fixing the samples tampering with them, accused the Catholic Church of doing the same thing, tried to take the doctor's licenses away, we've seen that time and time again, and to try and thoroughly discredit them. And then 
Then our cameras were called back into the laboratory and we filmed an event, an extraordinary event, which brings this story to its resolution. I'm not going to spoil it for your listeners, Cheryl, but it is, it was such an utterly compelling conclusion to this acrimonious debate that had been going on. Who was right? Who was wrong? Who was lying? Who was not lying? Who was telling the truth? Who was cheating? And who was honest? And that is where this story brings us. For reasonable skeptics who may at first blush say, well, you know, scientists wouldn't do this and government wouldn't do this. I won't say that vaccines haven't done good. In fact, I think there's general agreement, although the extent to which the good has been done, there's general agreement that much good has been done with certain vaccines around the world. Not in dispute, but it's also not in dispute that there's a long and sorted history of vaccine companies and government abusing um, test subjects, you know, doing exactly what you say happened here, experimenting particularly in third world countries on poor people without without their consent, without them knowing exactly what they're even being experimented on. Um, So this is not outside the realm of what's what's happened in the past. Um, What is the basic mechanism by which the tetanus vaccine could be used to sort of mask or hide an anti-fertility vaccine at the same time? Like why tetanus? Tetanus, they've tried a number of different molecules and the tetanus toxoid of the vaccine was the most effective. So when they conjoined it, stuck it on to the HCG, it boosted the immune response, not only to the tetanus, but to the HCG. So you could dress it up as they apparently did as a tetanus vaccine program, but you are achieving infertility in those women without telling them anything about it. And worse than that, perhaps you are causing them to abort existing pregnancies that they may well and very likely did want. So these women are finding it not only difficult to conceive, but to maintain a pregnancy once they do conceive. And the point you made about testing of these vaccines is absolutely right. And you and I have talked about this before, but in the 60s, the childhood vaccine program was tested where? Well, you may have heard, or you will have heard of, Willowbrook State School, but there was a school in Staten Island, New York, for 4,000 severely physically and mentally damaged children. And these children, quite apart from living in appalling conditions, naked, living in their own excrement, uh, 50 children to one carer, were the test subjects for the pediatric program, the vaccine program here in the United States. Why? because they were considered expendable. And so you're absolutely right. There is this litany of abuse that goes not just uh, to Africa and India and developed countries, but to our own country as recently as the early 1960s. Much more after a short break. In today's increasingly managed information landscape, Independent journalism has never been more important. Support factual reporting without the censorship by visiting CherylAckeson.com and click the Store tab. Proceeds from sales go to causes related to independent reporting, including the new ION Awards I'm sponsoring to encourage accurate, off-narrative, original reporting. 
Also, check out my bestsellers on this topic, Stonewalled, Slanted, and The Smear. And thanks for being part of the solution. Before we continue with our interview with Dr. Wakefield, here's a brief excerpt from Infertility, a Diabolical Agenda. My journey with the miscarriages was very difficult. The first one, I carried that pregnancy for about three weeks. I got pregnant again. And I must have carried that pregnancy for about four weeks. I got pregnant a third time. And this time, I carried that pregnancy for 10 weeks. I knew there was a problem. When a woman is pregnant, her baby produces HCG through the placenta. Human chorionic gonadotropin, HCG. What is that? It's the first signal that tells the woman she is pregnant. It tells the ovaries to produce a second hormone called progesterone that then maintains the pregnancy. I, I was tested and my anti-HCG levels were way up. What does this mean? When a woman has antibodies, an immune reaction to HCG produced in her own body. If you create antibodies against HCG, the minute the new baby forming in the woman's womb starts producing HCG, it is destroyed like it was bacteria or viruses. So that the signal is completely lost and therefore the ovaries do not produce progesterone. So if you have high enough levels of anti-HCG antibodies, then the woman would actually just become sterile. But how does a woman develop antibodies to HCG? Effectively, an autoimmune disease where the body is attacking itself. This was the question that was asked and answered by vaccine developers seeking to create an anti-fertility vaccine on behalf of the World Health Organization, starting in the early 1970s. This research and development program was undertaken in response to perceived overpopulation. From 72 to 92, they spent 20 years funding the research for development of that vaccine. These facts are indisputable. WHO, through its Task Force on Vaccines for Fertility Regulation, has been supporting research on a synthetic vaccine against the HCG molecule. In order to immunize a woman against getting pregnant or abort a successful pregnancy, Scientists discovered that physically combining the beta subunit of HCG with the tetanus toxoid used in the routine tetanus vaccine was the most effective approach. Not only did the woman develop antibodies against tetanus, she also produced antibodies against HCG, including that produced by her own body. But inevitably, an anti-fertility program faced challenges Despite support from Kenya's leaders and what were described as elite groups, the response of Kenyan women was unenthusiastic. In particular, women's groups were concerned about the potential for abuse. Why? Because it had already happened. 
Women in the vaccine trials had already been sterilized without their knowledge or consent. Women were also worried that an anti-fertility vaccine campaign could be disguised as a tetanus vaccine program. Is there any evidence that programs like this or other vaccines may be contributing to the lessening fertility across the world? Or is the point made in your film that we are, for whatever reason, having an issue with fertility around the globe and that there's no reason to create a vaccine for infertility? Which is it? Well, it's a very good point. It's both. We have a, 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 a pandemic of infertility worldwide for which we do not have a precise reason. The experts have come to the conclusion that it is in some way due to environmental toxicity, but beyond that, it hasn't been thoroughly explored. So that's the background. Then on top of it, you impose a deliberate infertility vaccine program on women in developed countries, presumably as some kind of prelude to distributing this vaccine worldwide if they consider it to be a success. And then on top of that, you've got the growing number of allegations of, for example, primary ovarian failure and infertility in young girls, young, young girls taking the Gardasil vaccine. And more recently, the data from Pfizer, which has been exposed under court order, which they wanted to keep quiet for the, the, the test data for 75 years. And emerging in that now through expert analysis is an extraordinary level of fetal loss during pregnancy, of infertility, of menstrual cycle disturbances in women. So when Tony Fauci goes out there and says there is no evidence that this has any impact on female fertility, one that is dishonest because if there's no science been done, we cannot infer that there is no damage, but he is. And the second is when the science has been done, as it was by Pfizer in those documents, then there were major, major problems which we are only just beginning to learn about. I will mention, since you brought up uh, the Gardasil vaccine for cervical cancer, HPV, I think that came out around 2006, a whistleblower from the company that made the original vaccine or that makes it Merck, who was familiar with and involved in development, told me when I was a CBS News reporter that not only did they have evidence inside the company, they knew it didn't work, but that it created fertility issues in, and caused cancer and problems in lab animals. So he, on the very front end, predicted that there would be issues emerging, but it would be so many years before these young women who were getting the HPV vaccine before we understood that they were becoming infertile, perhaps as a result of it, that it would be masked because it, you know, these girls are only maybe 11 years old when they're getting it. So, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, maybe you see an issue. And then you don't even know, he said, if that vaccine is really effective, despite what they claim until these young girls reach the age where they would be getting ovarian cancer. I'm sorry, is it cervical cancer or ovarian? Cervical, cervical cancer. Which would be in their 50s and beyond. So it's decades before we will even understand if that vaccine, you know, how effective it is. And I'll say here again, for the other side, there are many places, pretty much every other place you can research and look to read about the other side, the people that think this vaccine works very well and is safe and completely effective and so on. So I urge you to do that research but I'm telling you what a whistleblower from the company alleged some years ago. And then um, 
Is there any evidence that the US government is involved in or interested in an infertility vaccine? Not directly. There is no doubt that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have been involved more recently. The extent to which there is a great deal of interest and encouragement from uh, many historically to have some kind of population control throughout the, the third world. Um, Henry Kissinger is one name that comes to mind, but the deployment of these vaccines within women in the first world, I am not aware of any evidence to that effect. And what is the stage of development? Where do we stand today in terms of this controversy? Well, we now know. We now know the answer. And if you watch the film, you will see the resolution of this debate about you know, who, who was telling the truth and who wasn't. But um, I, as I say, I won't spoil it for you, but it involves not only an absence of fully informed consent to these women, but a frank deception. In the big picture, <clears throat> pardon me, in the big picture, what would you say we've learned in recent years about um, public health and the lack of information or the extent to which we're getting full information when it comes to vaccination? Because my own view, based on what I've seen, is that the misleading information put out by government, social media, vaccine industry interests has actually made vaccine confidence worse than it was. So in their effort to try to boost confidence, but by being deceptive, they've actually done quite the opposite among people who previously weren't asking questions about vaccines, but have come to do so now. What are your thoughts about the big picture? You're absolutely right. You and I have just talked about this over the years many times that when I got involved in this study years ago, Cheryl, there were maybe a handful of us worldwide who were prepared to discuss this subject and, and adopt the associated risks of doing that. But now it is more than half the adult world. And that is the silver lining of COVID because what has happened is that there has been a rush to market, an untested vaccine, covering up of, of data that is essential for evaluating safety, and then a plethora of, of injuries, of severe, often fatal injuries associated with the vaccine. None of it comports with the diktat from people like Tony Fauci and others that this is safe and effective. People are saying, no, it's not. So where we are now is with the CDC's own numbers, 72% of people in this country have said, no, we're not going to comply with the CDC's COVID uh, shot schedule. We're not going to get the first dose or we're not going to get the second dose or we're not going to get boosted. 72%, that is a massive loss of public confidence. And once you've lost it, you don't regain it. You do not regain it. If you have lied to people one time, then you are always a liar. And what's interesting, I, I saw Bill Gates on television the other day and he was asked about to reflect upon the success of what was in large part his program, I guess, pushing this vaccine on 7 billion people and and he was a broken man. He was a broken man. It was interesting to watch that he believed, as did many of them believe, that they could instill fear into the public to the extent that they would win them over, they would bend to their will and they have not done that and they can refuse to do it. So uh, we've come a very, very long way in the last 30 years and people, particularly on the health freedom side, should take heart from that. It's good for people to become aware and do their own research and not be blinded by 
you know, widespread propaganda, but it's also not a great development that we cannot or feel we cannot trust our public health officials and their advice, even when they may be giving us the correct facts. So that's the um, fallout from all of this. And I would just urge people to continue to do your own research, consult the doctors who know you best, do your reading. Don't just look at one side of things and listen to what's the prevailing information put out by the players that have proven so wrong in the past. And hopefully we can pull through this. I'll be doing a story, I hope this fall, on season eight of my TV program, Full Measure, that asks about whether we have to blow up and reform our public health agencies. I don't think that'll necessarily happen, but there are members of Congress and scientists who after the debacle of COVID and the way it was handled, think that that absolutely has to be done for these agencies to try to get back credibility among a large swath of the American public. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if so, you'll leave a great review, subscribe to it and share it with your friends. You can also check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours. And I hope you consider supporting independent journalism causes. This has never been more important by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking the store tab. There are some thought provoking and fun products like beach towels that will really make a statement for you this summer. These have been designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers with proceeds benefiting independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.